0: Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean O'Zaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for, and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And we're in a series called The Abundant Life and how to pay for it. Financial freedom is a result of wise financial decisions. You don't need a financial degree to prosper, but you do need to make wise choices, In this message, Pastor Sean shares six wise financial behaviors that will lead to radical financial freedom. The message today is called Financial Wisdom. Might as well start heading to Proverbs. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: Mike told you we're continuing on in this series, Abundant Life and How to Pay For It. This has been an awesome journey through finding out what it is that God desires for us, this idea of abundant life. We quote that scripture all the time, John ten ten. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I came to give you life, and that more abundantly. Well, one of the biggest things that can suck the abundant right out of abundant life is financial worries, stresses, and struggles. And so that's what we've been talking about. We began with this idea that understanding God's heart for your finances begins by understanding God's heart for you. And we took that whole first week to talk about God's heart of blessing. And then we talked about this concept, and we've been kind of continuing on this idea of radical freedom. Because when you walk in the truth of God's finances and you begin to be set free, it is radical because it's so different than the culture around us. We saw that the biggest financial decision you'll ever make is not deciding what to do but who to trust. This really is the dividing line. Are you going to trust the Lord or are you going to trust the system that so many of us have been raised in? And then last week we talked about a particular pathway, a particular practice that will train your heart. You know, Jesus made that statement that where your treasure is, your heart will be. And we talked about that idea of the tithe, that powerful transformative idea where we get to, every time we get paid, prove God's faithfulness mathematically. And we get to experience his blessing. It all belongs to him, but that tenth belongs to him. And we talked about that again. I encourage you, if you missed that one, check that out online. Now, we're on this journey to radical freedom, and it is a journey. We talked about the tithe, some big powerful promises in this idea of the tithe, but what I want to just point out this morning is that the promise of the tithe doesn't mean that we're immune to the consequences of bad choices. You know, the Malachi pastors talked about opening the windows of heaven. Well, what good does it do to have the windows of heaven open if you're going to simply flush it all down the toilet of poor financial management? I mean, really, it's not. And i I talked to some people who said, well, we tithe and we know God blesses, but we're just financially in trouble. Well, honestly, there are a lot of reasons for that. You cannot tithe and expect all the other laws of the scripture and all the other principles that God's put in place to go away. Here's one, for example, Galatians 6, 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. This is called the law of the harvest. It's powerful wisdom. And it's true in every area of life. And you know, we say it different ways. We say what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. And this is just the truth, and it's true in this area of finances. This is just powerful biblical wisdom. And that idea of wisdom is significant. And that's really what I want to talk to us about this morning, financial wisdom. There are just some things that are true. Wisdom is not about quoting wise sayings or sounding wise. It's really not about words at all. There are people who sound wise, and that's great and all, but then there are people who actually are wise, and it always shows up. I believe wisdom is understanding and living according to reality as God created it. Reality as God created it. You see it in spiritual areas. We have spiritual wisdom. We understand without Jesus we're lost. And so we surrender our lives to him. We receive that forgiveness of sin and we walk in the power of his spirit. That affects all kinds of area of our spiritual life. And we walk according to his word and his ways. We see natural or physical wisdom. There's just some things that are true. You know, I don't care how much faith you have, you jump off a building, the law of gravity is real. Okay? Please don't do it. That's wisdom, understanding there are just some physical realities and working in alignment with those, things go well. When I get out of alignment with them, not so much. There's relational wisdom how to respond to people, how to treat people. The scripture's full of wisdom. James 3, 13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So wisdom isn't about words. It's about how you live. It is about what you practice. It's not what you claim to know or claim even even what you actually do know. It's revealed by what you do. Jesus gave a beautiful picture of how to spot wisdom. Because I think sometimes we're confused as, well, what's wisdom? And we look for people with uh, sage ideas and understandings or even certain types of accents. Oh, that person must be wise. They have an accent. It's incredible. We Americans are goofy that way, right? That's not the signs of wisdom. Jesus said it real quickly. People were comparing he and John the Baptist. And Jesus was talking about John came in a very kind of stern, harsh manner in the way he lived, and Jesus didn't. But the religious leaders criticized both of them. He says, well, you criticize John, and look what he says about himself. He says, the son of man, talking about himself, he said, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Those are accusations they made against Jesus. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and then he says this phrase. Look at this phrase. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Luke 7, 34 and 35. That. Some of you, in that phrase alone, you're going to get what you need from today's message. Wisdom is is justified by all our children you know what jesus is saying he's saying wisdom is always proven in the fruit it's always the fruit there's all there's different opinions about everything in the world every any subject you want there's different opinions you want to know what's really the wisdom of the lord what's the fruit because always look at the fruit that'll tell you where the real wisdom lies i love people who want to get parenting advice and their kids are hellions it's like that's awesome i'm gra- that's wonderful but come on, show me the fruit. How's it working in your life? And that is true in finances, just like any other area of life. There is financial wisdom. In fact, what we're going to talk about today is financial wisdom, and it is, this is basically a, a biblical seminar on stewardship, how to be wise in the stewarding of the resources that we have. We talked about that last week, stewardship versus ownership. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a lot from the book of Proverbs because it has a lot of wisdom. So here's the big idea that I want you to write down and just kind of springboard from here. Financial freedom always requires financial wisdom. Okay, financial freedom always requires financial wisdom. If you're going to walk outside of financial wisdom, you are going to experience problems and you are not going to experience the radical freedom that God has for you. You're like, but I tithe. That is a foundational piece of financial wisdom. But if in every other area you're violating everything the Scripture says, you are going to experience the negative consequences of those violations. And so the truth is financial freedom always requires financial wisdom. Now today, I want to real quickly, I'll try real quickly, it's a lot of stuff, I want to go through six wise financial behaviors. This is very practical. We're going to get nuts and bolts, got down on the nuts and bolts of stewardship here. So... Kind of take some notes, and here we go. First thing, put God first in your finances. This I'm not going to take a whole lot of time with because that's what we talked about at length last week. But this is so important. This is the the, uh, foundation. I cannot talk about financial wisdom without mentioning this. Put God first in your finances. Remember that he's my provider. Remember that he provides everything that I have, And it's not like, thanks, God, and I'll figure it out and let you know if I need any help. No, no, put him first in your finances. Remember what Jesus said when he was talking about resources. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What are we seeking first when it comes to this area of finances? The Wisdom begins with saying, God, you are first in everything. It all comes from you. You're like, but I earn it. I work hard for it. Well, that's true. But understand, he empowers us to earn. Look at what the scripture says. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. He's the one who empowers and enables in every way. And putting God first recognizes, hey, it's all his. It's all his. I am a steward. And so I'm going to live my life that way. And it's a mindset that is the beginning of financial wisdom. You know, we talk a lot about economics. We've got different economic systems. Capitalism, capitalism, right? That's kind of how our nation operates. It says what's mine is mine. I earned it. I'm entitled to it. If you didn't, tough luck. That can kind of be the way capitalism comes off. Communism is another economic system. It says what's yours is mine. I have a right to it. Redistribution of wealth is taking what someone has earned and giving it to someone else who didn't earn it. And that's the idea in communism. Well, Christianity is very different. It says, what's mine is really God's. And so I'm willing to share it. And it changes your way of thinking. It's a whole different perspective. This all begins by putting God first. And we talked about a practice to do that last week. We talked about this idea of the tithe. I pay God first. I pay God first. It's a chance every time I get paid to, to express my faith and my belief that God, you really are my provider. It's an opportunity to, to grow my faith and see that God really does promise in Scripture to do more with the 90% than you could do with 100 And as I pointed out last week, I'm not going to re-preach that message, but how powerful is it when you can prove the faithfulness of God with math? You can mathematically prove it because we know 90% is always less than 100% except when it comes to this issue of the tithe, where God says, I will bless you more with 90% than you could with 100 And when you see him do that, all of a sudden other areas of faith don't seem so hard. Relational areas, family areas, work, job issues. We begin to trust him differently because we saw him work.
0: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in a message called Financial Wisdom which is available right now on the sermons page at reallife.org just look for the series called Abundant Life and while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others just find the gift tab at reallife.org and Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author invites you to check out his brand new book This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: And the tithe, the secret of the tithe is real simple. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's the principle, this idea. And so it's the beginning, the first wise financial behavior because financial freedom always requires financial wisdom. Second really important. And some of you may say, why do you need to talk about that, Sean? Secure your income by honest work. Secure your income by honest work. Well, if you're paying attention, you know I need to talk about it. And you guys, I might be preaching to the choir here, you look like a hardworking group, okay? God bless you. But we live in a culture that desperately needs to be reminded of this. And you may be here going, well, I work really hard and I, I believe in that. Well, I hope maybe I can give you some language to help in the cultural conversation because this idea is lost on a whole lot of people. The biblical way, the right way, the healthy way to secure your income is by honest work. That's just the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 and 12 says, we hear that some among you are idle. Or in other words, you're not working. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. This is a biblical idea. I want to just say this is a virtuous idea. There is a biblical rightness, a virtue in hard work, hard, honest work. It's part of God's design. One of the great disservices we've done to teaching on work in biblical circles is to kind of say, well, work, as we understand it, is part of the curse, Remember, man was in the garden, and God was taking care of everything, and then he sinned, and now he had to go to work. That is absolutely not true. That is a terrible misreading of the early chapters of the book of Genesis. Actually, you remember what happened in the garden. God put the man there. He partnered with him in naming the animals and preparing it, and then he gave him authority and dominion. He said, I want you to take care of it. I want you to work the garden. Work was a part of paradise when it is done God's way. Yes, sin has messed it up. And a lot of people are experiencing really negative things in the context of their work because we don't work in the way God designed. We're actually going to talk about that next week, abundant life at work. You don't want to miss that one. But this idea of work being part of the curse, no, it was before the curse. It is a virtue. It is a gift of the Lord. It is something biblical. And what I want to say is in a culture like ours, able-bodied adults perpetually living off income that they did not earn is immoral. And it is unbiblical. And the worst part is it's severely damaging to everyone involved, especially the people who aren't experiencing the gift of work. You watch people who, who have lived without working and who, who constantly are living off of income just, that is just given by someone else, whether it's a government or what, whatever the, the source is. And you watch their creativity, their drive, their skill set, their confidence, all atrophy because of lack of use. I mean, think about that. Think of how much in your life has been accomplished, how many good things are the result of work. I remember when I first, when I was a kid, and I was kind of just growing up and kind of going to move out of the house, and I absolutely remember that feeling, kind of excited because I'm going to be independent, you know, but really scared. And, you know, I mean, you guys can probably guess. I was a cocky young kid. But quietly, you know, I'm talking about, I'll be, I'll do this better than my parents. They don't know anything. You know, you, know, you know this drill, right? But inside, I knew I've never done this before. And especially when I go, and you know, that lease for the apartment, they made me sign for that. Did you know they charge for utilities? They were serious about that. And they were billing me every single month. I'm like, this is wrong. This is a human rights violation. Water, they charged me for water. They corrected me on that. They said, no, we're not charging you for the water. We're charging you to get into your house. But I remember being absolutely scared about, how am I going to do this? Can I do it? You know, that first month, it was amazing. After I got that first utility bill, you know, all of a sudden my friends would come over leave lights on. I became my dad overnight, walking around grumpy old man. Turn those lights off. You know they charge for that. Electricity's not free. My voice aged like 40 years overnight. (laughs) But, yeah, all of a sudden it wasn't his electricity, which I never had to worry about. It's my electricity, and I had to pay for it. I started turning off lights. I was careful with the water, you know, brush my teeth and turn the water off, I, all, all kinds of stuff. Because they make you pay for that stuff. And it's interesting, because first month I was scared, and we got through it, and I, I, was, I was like, this is awesome. Made it, but second month still a little bit like, oh, am I going to be able to do it? Third month, and you know, after that, it was just normal. I haven't been worried about that or afraid since then. I've had to work some goofy jobs, I've had to work two jobs, I've had to do all kinds of w- k- weird, quirky stuff just to make ends meet and pay the bills, but I always knew, yeah, I can do that. And I haven't been afraid of that since. Can you imagine, and stop and think about this, because here in our country, and other countries around the world, there are generations of people where parents didn't work, kids didn't work, grandparents didn't work because a culture sat and told them they couldn't. They were disadvantaged. There were things. I'm not talking about people with actual physical disadvantages who can't work. I'm glad we live in a compassionate culture that believes we should help support those folks and help them. I'm glad the church is involved in that kind of thing. I'm talking about able-bodied people who've been told they just can't make it so they need someone else to pay their bills. That's just wrong and imagine if I'd never been able to work How different would My life be if I'd never overcome that fear Never learned how to kind of work and figure it out never gained the confidence. Where would my drive where? Just imagine a person and the gifts that God has placed in them just atrophying and withering because they never work It's not right It's not biblical. It's not moral. Work is a big deal. And I mean, our government needs to recognize that and know that. It's important for people. It's an expression of creativity, an expression of who they are. Well-meaning activists need to know that. They need to hear this. Some parents need to hear this. Parents, I want to say to you, I I know it can be hard. and at, At that point, when you have to make that decision, to lovingly cut your kid off, your adult child, and help them transition to full independence. I want you to know that is a loving and caring decision. You don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to, you know, but you don't, you don't have to do it in a way that hurts, but you, you have to make that transition. Because it's the right thing to do. We should secure our income by honest work. And that's a part of this wisdom. We've got to beware of get-rich-quick stuff okay, get the lottery, you know, I've told you about the lottery before, it's a tax on people who are bad at math, right, okay, be careful about get rich quick stuff, you know, there's so many different business opportunities, multi-level things, and I'm not saying they're all bad, I'm just saying some of them are ridiculous at the outset, and you know we Christians are a target for those, because we got faith, they target Christians because we have faith and we'll believe things that really, if you actually looked at it and go, sounds too good to be true, because it is too good to be true, Beware, get rich quick. Honest work is the key. Proverbs 15, 27 says, He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates a bribe will live. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Cheating at work. Cheating through your work. God can't bless that. Cheating at work by not giving a full day's work for a full day's wage. Taking things from work. Dishonest sales or dishonest business practices, God can't bless cheating. So a core foundational principle of wisdom is secure your income by hard work, honest work. Two ways to make money, work hard. Number two, invest well. That's how it works. Okay, third principle, save second. Write that down. Save second. You remember we're paying God first. Well, the idea behind this is pay yourself second pay yourself a second. You remember, we talked about this a few years back. We talked about 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80 as a financial principle. Tithe 10, save 10, live off of 80. And some of you are looking at me like I'm absolutely crazy right now. There's no way I could do that. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute, okay? Proverbs twenty-one twenty says this about savings. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. This idea of consuming everything that we have versus planned saving. This has got to become a habit. This is something that's trained. I have to tell you honestly, when Lori and I got married, she had been trained to save. I had not. I'd heard about savings. I knew about savings. I knew it was a good thing. I just had never been taught and trained, and that was not my practice. And that made for some fun conversations for us. It was all roses and songs, I got to tell you. Savings is a powerful part of this idea. This 101080. 10, Man, I've told my kids, if they live this way from, from starting right out, starting young, and live this way their life, they will not have to go through some of the stuff I had to go through. They will not have to worry about the things that I've had to worry about. They, they will be walking in financial wisdom from day one. Okay? I like to call savings a freedom fund. Some of you need to jot that down. It's a way to think about savings, a freedom fund. Remember, what we're looking at is radical freedom. Well, this is one of the keys. I know in Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about holding some back for use that you know is going to come. Okay, We're talking about wise stewardship. Save second. So your freedom fund. Here's what a freedom fund is for. It's so that you live beyond survival. Some of you have gotten into the habit of living paycheck to paycheck, and every month you go through this tension and this fear and this stress over money. When you begin to save, you start living beyond survival. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's for unexpected expenses. Well, we've talked about that, right? Unexpected expenses are one of the most expected things you can you know, plan on. Think about it. Any of us who's ever got an extra $100 or an extra $1,000 knows full well this principle. Something is going to come along to suck up that $100 or that $1,000, right? This is a principle. We all know it. So these unexpected expenses are not unexpected. Savings is a way to prepare for those and to be ready so they don't send you for a loop every time they happen. A third way to look at it, and I love this idea, is an obedience fund. It's an obedience fund. When God begins to put something on your heart and nudge you, and you know that's going to take a little resources, you actually have the resources to handle that. You have the, the wherewithal to do what God says. Yes, Lord, I can go do that because I have the means. I can help that person. I can fund that thing because you've planned ahead, and you've saved, and you have it. It is an obedience fund. Generosity. It's for generosity. I think all of us want to be generous, right? Very few people really want to kind of be a finalist in the stingiest person on earth competition, right? Nobody's really saying, oh, gee, that's what I want. I want to be stingy. No, in our hearts, there's something in us that's like our Father God that wants to be generous. We just, many of us have been convinced we, we can't afford to be generous. I just want to say savings is a way to begin to move past that. It's a generosity fund. So that when that neighbor has a need. And you go, gosh, I wish somebody could do something about that. And you go, wait a minute, I can.
0: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Financial Wisdom or this whole series on the abundant life, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org.